Today is our first Sunday in this new location as a church family. The move has happened. And I'd like to take time just to pray and give thanks to God for where we were and for what we have here. Um, there's a verse in Luke 10 that says, When you enter a house, uh, first say peace to this house. And uh, there's a bunch of other stuff too, but that's a really cool line. We're coming into a new place. Let's pray peace to this house. And uh, I'd like to do that right now. So Heavenly Father, we give thanks for our previous location and locations. You have provided every single time. You've made sure we've had a place to congregate, to get together, to hang out, whether it's in homes and different locations Uh, Thank you for what we experienced at the Outlet Mall. For this new home, we pray that you bless it with peace. We know you already have, but we pray for hope for the future, for the things you're going to do here through this place and the impact on this community. But maybe we could be impacted too as we experience a whole new way of being a church of love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to dive into uh, a message that I had to change my mind at at about 11.30 last night. I knew what I was going to do at 10.30, and then 11.30 hit. Oh, I got to change this. And so I realized that this location, this change, in fact, this whole year, last 12, 13 months, has been a, a time of significant change. And we're not used to it. Um, And it creates fear, fear in us. Oh no, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? What about this? What about that? What if that happens? What are we going to do? Oh no, I had my own fears. Fears of, oh, oh, am I going to lose my job now? Do I have to find a new career? Oh, where do I go for training, for new career training development? But what kind of career would I want? And oh my goodness, the rabbit trail went nuts. Those are real fears. Then the location, oh no, what if we have to meet in a hotel, set up, tear down, oh, we don't want to do that again, here we are. But anyway, um, (laughs) uh, those kinds of fears built in. Then we have fears of, oh no, I think it's too far to drive. We've had many people express, oh no, this this is a lot farther than what I'm used to. Maggie told me this morning she couldn't believe how fast she got here. Mind you, that gas pedal, I think, was part of the... (laughs) Part of the problem. Um, But honestly, uh, coming on the expressway here was smooth. There was no traffic. And hopefully some of you also experienced it as as such. Fears. And I thought, okay, let's, if we come here with fear and trembling, is this going to work? Last night, uh uh-oh, what about this glitch? You'd be surprised all the little snippets of of fear. And fear is not maybe too strong of a word, but honestly, you dig down a little deeper, you realize, I'm afraid, oh no, what if it's not going to work? So I want to address that. I want to deal with fear. And when fear does come, and it will come many more times, fear not just of this location, but fear in our lives, circumstances are going to change suddenly. We've had families in this church that have had drastic changes, whether through health crises Right, Becky? Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what you go through. You know, but each thing leads to new fear. What are we going to do? Where's healthcare going to come? Unbelievable fears. Well, let's take time to remember. So today I want to cover these five things, or four things. Remember first who you are. I'm going to go through each one today. 
When fear comes in, remember who you are. Knowing who you are in Christ is critically important. Remember your journey. Remember where you've come from. Um, remember those who've gone before us. Let's take a look at some uh, biblical images and stories of people who've gone through pretty fearful things. Maybe we can gain some hope from that. And then lastly, remember there is hope. Oh, Hope Fellowship. I think we need to be a church that constantly, constantly gives hope. I want people to come to Hope Fellowship with this idea that, hey, we're going to hear good news today. We're not going to get clubbed on our heads with the Bible and say, you must, you must, you must. They're going to come, my hope is, to be encouraged and lifted up because Jesus comes to bring peace and good news. If it's not good news, it's not the gospel. Oh, wait, the gospel means good news. Ha! Imagine that! Let's take a look and see what we got here. Remember who you are. This is remembering who you are. As believers, we need to remember what the scriptures teach us about what has happened to us. If you don't know this, this may be the first time you hear it, but if it isn't the first time, you may have forgotten. If you already know this, it's great to be reminded. But this is a reminder to all of us of where we've come from. It starts off, when Jesus died, I died. And all the verses are down here. You can look this up later. That's a whole sermon if I go through all that. So I'm not going to do that this morning. We've covered this a lot. But in Galatians 2.20 and on and on, it, the Scriptures tell us, the Bible tells us that when, we, when Jesus died, we died. We died with him. You've got to remember that. So the old you is dead. All right? Then when Jesus was buried, we were buried. We were baptismoed in with Christ. The word baptized means to, be, uh, to, to dip under. So we are baptized already with Christ. When Jesus arose, we arose. So your journey, remember if, when the fear hits, wait a minute, who am I? Uh, where, where am I at? Uh, this, this is who you are. You are one with Christ. That's what this whole point is. Sometimes we really forget our union with Christ. And I think that we are one with Jesus is the best kept secret in the Western church. It's just not taught. And if it is, very poorly. Uh, there's a denomination I was with that uh, kind of used the phrase that connected to our, our, our oneness with Christ, but it was never taught or explained. It was just a doctrinal page that you had to agree to checkmark as a pastor. It was crazy, but nothing like what we've come to learn. I love it. When Jesus ascended, we ascended. Jesus Christ is our life. Okay, this again, when the fears hit, know who you are. Therefore, I live by faith, his faith. In Galatians 2.20, says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live by faith in Christ. Okay? We live by, the faith, by faith in Christ. In a, a more accurate translation, it says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So it's his faith we live by. The faith you and I have is a gift. So what happened to all that pounding of the Bible and knocking on doors and Again, what I, the church I grew up in, we had these bus ministries. And we sent people out for free babysitting and picked up kids Sunday mornings and brought them to church, and it was a chaos, you know. But, but we told people, you must believe, have faith. You must have more faith. And then as believers, we're told, wait a minute, your faith is so weak, you need to have more faith, more faith. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us to live by the faith of the Son of God. Later, in different places, it then expresses, take the faith that's been given to you, you can call it your faith, and that, that faith needs to mature based on your union with Christ. 
That's pretty cool. So when trouble comes, when fears come, fears come, remember who you are. This is the beginning. Next, remember your journey, where you've come from. Well, we're a new person. Saints, not sinners. I remember um, growing up, I was taught, you know, I'm just a lousy sinner saved by grace. Yeah, we're just sinners. The only, it, that's such a brutal, brutal thing. It's like if I walk into a garage, oh, I'm just a car looking like a person. It doesn't work like that. The idea of saint and sinner, and I'm not going to get into the depth of it because I have in the past, I will again. But the idea of sinner, if you're going to call someone a sinner, you're dealing with what? Identity or behavior? Behavior, not identity. So why are we calling people sinners? Because the Bible says so. Well, let's, we'll dig into that one later. But to call yourself a sinner implies the core of who you are is bad. We just finished covering good news, that you're one with Christ. The core of you is good. Start looking for the good, not only in yourself, but in everyone else. Everyone else. And we speak to that goodness, to that light. We're saints. Paul calls us saints. Think 27 times in the New Testament we're addressed as saints. To the saints in Ephesus, to the saints here, we're called saints. Not because of our great behavior. Okay, I don't always act like a saint. Any, in any marriage, we know that's true. Okay, it's how it works. If you have kids, they don't always act like saints. And even growing up, raising, raising up our kids, when I started to learn I wasn't a sinner, but rather a saint who sometimes sins. Okay, I'm a saint who sometimes sins. And sin is not about immoral infraction. Sin is about missing our perception of who God, how God sees us. If we see ourselves differently than God sees us, that's just missing the mark. It's missing it. That's, that's what the word comes. We've, we have become so sin-obsessed in the Western church, and I think we need to unlearn that fast because that will set us free from so many weird bondages of behavioral stuff. I think that'll be for another message another day. So remember your journey. You are a new person now. You, you are a brand new person. We have a new motivation uh, love, not law. Um, uh, we have relationships, not rules. So what motivates us for doing what we do? Well, growing up, I was motivated by God's going to get you. So you better. <laughs> and so I had to, okay, I don't want to go to hell. Ah, I'll behave. And I, you know, it, 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 there's this fear control thing that churchianity has done. They have set us up for failure. Because when you're focused on the rules, what are you going to see? What's the only thing you're going to see when you're focused on the rules? The giveaway was the word focus. You're going to see rules. You're going to see the list. We have the list of things. If you believe you need a list to guide your life, I'm so sorry. You don't. You need the life of Christ only, who will be the living list, who will inspire you moment by moment, instant by instant, as you are going. We live by relationship, not rules. I don't see many marriages where you have, okay, this is what we've each agreed to today. You do this, I do this. The, what? You didn't do this. Well, you didn't do that. Well, yeah, yeah you didn't. And it goes real bad. Quick. We don't live by those rules. We live by love and serving one another. We don't serve because we have to. We serve because we get to. It's very different, very freeing. We have a new method. 
Our old method, the religious method, would say, we're motivated, and so my job is to motivate you, motivate you, ha, ha, ha. And then you feel bad because you screwed up, so now you feel condemned to condemnation, condemnation. And then, okay, Jesus, I'm going to try harder, rededicate. I'm going to try really hard, and then you're motivated. Okay, I'm going to do harder, and and suddenly you have a spin cycle. Anybody live like that before? I, I have. It's the motivation, condemnation, rededication cycle. We are not called to that. Religion looks like that because it's about controlling people. God's not here to control us. He's come to set us free so we can live freely in him and love all those around us without all the baggage. We're motivated by love now. And what I mean by motivated by love, when we know God is love, not that, that he has it, of course he does, but his essence is love. His DNA is love, agape, other-centered. Then it's that love that motivates us. And when we can believe we are loved, then we will begin to love others as we love ourselves. Remember those, that great commandment when they said, so what are the best commandments? Jesus, you know, there's so many rules. He said, hang on, guys. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me make it simple for you. Let's really dumb it down. Two, two, I'll give you two. Ten commandments were pretty big. But he takes it to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what part we never listen to? Loving ourselves. It says love others as you love yourself. In this culture, we don't know how to love ourselves. Many people just hate themselves. They will walk around with a sense of not feeling good enough. Our youth today are having a super hard time because they get all these negative messages. I'm no good. I can't measure up. Mom and dad are mad. Teachers are mad. My boss at McDonald's is mad. And you just can't measure up. Negative, negative, negative. What about the positive voices? Where are they? We need to bring that back. We need to speak truth into the lives, not just of kids, but us adults. We think, oh, the teens have it hard. It never changes with age. Just because we're older, we think, oh, I'm more mature now. I don't need all the positive affirmations. I can handle all the negativity because I'm, I'm mature now. Bull. We're not. We're human. We're designed to feel. We're created to have emotions that interact with one another. It's quite powerful. Paul teaches who we are and what it looks like. That's what most of Paul's teaching is. We, some people will say, well, Paul has a ton of rules that we're supposed to follow. No, he doesn't. He's got commandments, which are not rules. Rules are like law. You break a law, and then there's a consequence for it. Commandments are for your benefit and my benefit. Do you see the difference? That's what he does. Most of his teaching is about how or uh, what we look like uh, when, we, when we know who we are. The system of religion says do these things in order to become. You can take the same message of Paul, read through the rules, say, well, I need to do these things in order to become holy. I have to do this list in order to become righteous. I have to do these things in order to become accepted by God. And even worse, I got to do these things in order to maintain my acceptance. I'm here to tell you, you're fully accepted right now. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more loved or accepted by God. 
you are 100% fully accepted right now as you are. When you begin to believe that, then your mind will change. Then the transformation of the mind and heart will begin, and your behaviors will find new expressions, less harmful to others and yourself. That's what love is. That's why the foundation is love. Remember those who've gone before us. When fear hits, we got to look back and say, wait a minute, there are others who've gone before us and they've not, did they have any trouble? Or were these Bible superheroes so good because, you know, they had the God card in their pocket or whatever? No, there's stuff going on here. So let's, those, are the, those are the people we're going to quickly take a look at. Um, oh, I can see the clock from, yes, I'm glad I put that there. <laughs> I put it at the very back, that low, so you can't see it, but I can. So <laughs> if I go like this, then you'll know what I'm doing, right? Because there's a clock there. So anyway, <laughs> that's why, Rod, that's why I didn't want that clock. So anyway, <laughs> these, these individuals, I'm going to take a quick look at to show you how they have walked through uh, a catastrophe or when fear hits. Maybe one of them you'll identify with. Moses was at the Red Sea. Now, we all know the story of, you know, Charlton Heston showing up at the Red Sea with all the Israelites. You know, he was Moses. And he did the whole, you know, waters part thing. Well, before that happened, what they don't tell you bluntly is this next line. See, they were staying there. They saw the sea. They're in trouble. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And then they saw the cloud of dust coming. The Egyptians were on their way, and it was a massive army. I'd say they were scared. They were Definitely fearful. So they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? See the you, you, you. Like they blamed, blame, blame. Oh, that's what fear does. We blame. If you and your spouse ever get into an argument and you hear the word you, let that be a telltale that there's something fearful going on. There's an insecurity there. It, that argument didn't just begin then. Don't kid yourself. It's been growing. You know, it's always her fault, but that's besides the point. You know. <laughs> just kidding. But the whole idea of fear comes in. You start to blame, deflect, because you don't want to be responsible for the problem. They just took a risk to leave. And they all agreed, yes, we will go, yes, we will go. But no, you brought us out here. They were scared. They were going to be dead meat. But then Moses brought this to God, say, God, what? <laughs> he kind of freaked out, and God told him what to do. And they escaped that. Moses' reaction was what? He looked to God. I think he wanted to quit. If he had a way to have a resignation document, he would have signed it, but didn't have any steel tablets or concrete tablets back then for, to do that. Next is a really sad story. There's a widow and her son there. She was about to die, and Elisha comes to her, however she finds Elisha. Hey, we're in trouble. We're going to die. And he says, well, what, what do you have in your house? And she said, we got nothing. we got nothing in our house. We're going to die. We've lost everything. There was a big famine going on. And, and then she said, wait, wait, wait. There's a jar of oil, a small flask of oil. All right, bring me the flask. And then he sends them out. Go find all the empty flasks you can get. 
all the jars, any container, everything that's empty, go find it. Borrow it from neighbors and let, bring them all to your house. Now, if you, I've seen hoarding videos of people who do not get rid of little buckets. My dad was one of them. Like just tons of them. How many know about those kinds of, yes. Well, imagine this house now being full. And this little flask of oil, Elisha says pour. And they began pouring and pouring. And they filled all of the containers. And that's when he says, bring me another jar. So she said to her sons, and says, there aren't any more. The olive oil stopped flowing at that moment. God provided through Elijah to this woman a weird little story of oil. But oil was valuable. They used it for everything. And yet all these containers were full. Here's what's interesting about the story. Some of you have heard this before. But the reason it stopped flowing is because there was no more emptiness. Empty was done. Maybe we're not empty enough. Maybe we think we're in good control. We don't need to call out for help. Oh, I got this. Oh, I don't want to bother so-and-so. So we tend not to ask for help. Some of us are really good at not asking for help. Right? Yes. You guys are, this is weirdly quiet. Anyway, maybe it's because I'm way up here. It's, again, Terrell's right. This is weird being up here. But anyway, we'll, I'll find a way to get around more. and We'll figure this out. But when there's not enough emptiness in your life, maybe you think you're in control. And maybe that's why fear is hitting, because you think you're in control. And that's an illusion. There's no such thing as real control. It just doesn't happen. You can control a few things you think, but you're not really that good at the outcomes. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Another picture, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is sitting on top of a castle wall right now, and he's got Elisha with him. And they're going, we're in deep trouble. This whole city is completely surrounded by this, <coughs> by this army, and they're starving us out. We're in deep doo-doo. Oh, my goodness. And they even burned that to cook food. It was crazy. But here, they're standing there, and the servant is saying to Elisha, we're, we're in trouble. Look how many there are. And Elisha says, ah, 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 there are more here than we think. And he says, Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He had a lens or a veil lifted to see into the spiritual world. And all around, yes, there was the armies, but all around were chariots of fire and angels ready. Oh, yeah. Don't think that all this is all there is. There's more going on around us than we perceive. How many of you can see sound waves? Good, because you can't. All right. How many can see all the light? You can't. You're seeing sources of light, reflections of light. They're radio frequency. You can't see them. There's so much going on. You and I perceive such a small little portion of this greater reality, and then we think we know it all. You don't. The older I get, the less I know. That's what I'm finding. And I'm finding myself becoming more and more teachable, realizing somebody else knows more than I do, 
and even they don't know it all. So what's going on? When you're in your moment of fear, there's more going on than you know. You too are surrounded by angelic hosts. Now, I'm still praying, God, can you turn the light on for one of them? I'd like to see one. That'd be really cool about now. You know, I've done that prayer many, many times. Hasn't happened. I even tried to work hard at seeing. It didn't work. <sighs> but I saw grace at other times that I could not mistake. I saw hope and light in people's lives that needed to be lifted up out of a pit and when happened to be there at the right place. I've had people lift me out of pits. Looked like an angel. You'd never say that, but the scriptures do say, be careful, you may be entertaining angels, totally unaware. You just don't know. There's more going on than we think. Jesus was in the garden. This is a moment of fear. As a man, remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man, fully human. At the same time, what we don't always know is he did not live out of his divinity, out of his godness, if you will. He chose to live out of his humanity. Therefore, he had to rely on his heavenly father all the time. That's where I always thought Jesus had the God card. Of course he didn't sin. He pulled up God, see, I don't have to sin. He, I, he just knew what was coming, I thought. But as the story starts to peel back more and I realize he constantly was in relationship to his father, constantly in prayer, constantly seeking his father's voice. And then later we see through the book of John, I don't say these words myself, he says. These words I say to you, I didn't make them up. My father told me. I only tell you what my father tells me. That should be a major clue. Because sometimes we come up with, what am I going to say? Well, but this will sound good. That backfired. <laughs> you know? But here, he's, he's in the garden now praying. And he's, one verse says he had sweats like blood, dripping blood from his brow. That's how intense it was. You can go into the whole medical thing, and there's, there's explanations for it. But it's, it's worth looking and exploring. But here, Jesus is in, he knows what's coming. As a man, when you know you're going to be dead, uh, there's some fear that hits you. Every death row video or conversation that uh, I've seen or interview I've, I've observed, there is an authentic human fear. Uh-oh, shoot. Was I right, wrong? It's an amazing moment to wake up to. Then Jesus is on the cross. He's in human pain, and he is suffering. He's got nails through himself. Now, with most of the pictures, we see hands. Sometimes we see in the wrists. We don't know. There's, there's many arguments. But the idea that Jesus is clearly in pain is obvious. He's got nails through his feet. All right? Like, this is pain. He's in agony. He's thirsty. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. The Romans meant that crown to be a humiliation, but it's the coronation crown of our real king. They didn't know that. He was tempted or blinded of the illusion of separation. There's two ways to see this uh, that I've come to see. Um, three, actually. The, the one that I grew up believing was when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, he was declaring, I am separated from my Father now. That's what I grew up believing. What if there are two other hope-filled perspectives that we may not be aware of? What if 
as a man, human, he recognizes and he's so, so much darkness has hit him, fear has hit him as a man, that he speaks words of emotion of how he feels at the time, declaring an emotional truth. But what if he's declaring Psalm 22? What if he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. He's, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are the messianic psalms for what has just taken place. Go read it and look at it. It's profound. So maybe he's declaring, I'm not going to be afraid. Because later on in the same Psalm 22, it says, but I will not forsake you. So if he start, if the psalm begins, you know, um, uh, my God, my God, wife, you're forsaking me. A little further down it says, but I will not. David was writing that from a place of emotional truth, but then got to the root, the core foundation of who he was. My God will not forsake me. It's okay to be fearful. It's not okay to stay there. We're not designed to stay there, but it's okay too. Because sometimes I've heard believers and Christians and churchy people say, you shouldn't fear, you shouldn't doubt, you shouldn't question. Yes, you should. It's a human experience. It's okay. That's why we're to give each other hope and encouragement. (laughs) And what if on that cross he was reading or declaring Psalm 22 and say, this is the moment to all who have ears to hear Everything that's been prophesied for hundreds of years, this is it. My God, my God, I'm declaring that scripture that all the Jews knew. Maybe he knew exactly what was going on. But I do not believe he was separated at all. I don't believe the Trinity can be separated. In fact, oh, right. It says in Corinthians, I believe it is, it was God, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Where was God? In Christ. Not separated. He was in, with. They were doing this together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit were on a love mission to rescue humanity. And they did it. That's why it's good news. We're not separated. There's no such thing as separation except in the mind. Anyway, great picture. Then we have Peter. We think St. Peter, oh, the great hero of our faith. Well, what if he wasn't spared? What, what if we see something about him? Take a look at this. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, You know, they're kind of like best friends, Peter, Jesus, lots of that going on, good buddies, hanging out, walking on the water thing, you know, the bonding experience, all that fun stuff. Isn't that great? And he doesn't even pray to bail them out. You and I would. We rush to pray for people's problems. Oh, spare them from their trouble and pain. This is like Jesus' really good friend, and he doesn't even do it for him. Come on, what gives? Well, he did pray. I mean, what did he pray for? Not for deliverance to be spared, but he prayed for his faith. Maybe we should pray for each other's faith that it will be strengthened 
made stronger, expanded, mature. I think this is great because then he says, now you can strengthen your brothers because you've just been through a terrible ordeal. What you're going, he's saying this now, but he, this, he knows what's coming because Papa told him. Anyway, really powerful one. Who else wasn't spared? It was Paul, the Apostle Paul. I would think he'd be getting some credit and some brownie points for all he went through. After all I do for you, well, you know, but no, he didn't do that. He says instead, three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this. By the way, we don't know what this is, that thorn in his flesh. But he answered, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. And yet we pray, make me stronger, stronger. Ah, maybe you're too strong, too self-reliant. Maybe we need to become weaker and more reliant to abide in Christ. So I will celebrate my weakness. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. We don't want to go there. We don't want to live in a place of weakness, of vulnerability. Because we're told to be strong in this world, confident, be a man, be a woman. What does that even mean? How about be human? Which means all the ranges of emotions. Being honest. I hope this church can become a safer and safer place for us to express our vulnerabilities. The Friday morning group has become one of the greatest things that's happened here, I think, of just taking time to share over coffee. Somebody's going through something rough, and then we listen and share and love that person and, and just encourage. It's just organic. It's real. It's Anyway, this whole idea of when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. See, when we're strong, we don't have to think about Christ so much because we got, I got this. You know what? You do all the big stuff, God, I got this little stuff. You know, I'll only come to you for the big stuff. And Jesus says, it's all small stuff, big guy. <laughs> like, what are we thinking? He's the one in charge of weaving in. He knows all those connections of people you know who need to feel loved. But he's getting you ready because there's going to be a time where you're going to be able to express a special love to them. And if you're not paying attention, that won't happen necessarily. You'll get another chance later. But I don't want to give up chances anymore. I want to learn to live more intentionally and being fully aware of Christ in me and aware of what God might be doing in others around me. Be more loving, less judgmental. And that, to me, is what Jesus was like. He's a great model for all that. Lastly, remember there is hope. When darkness hits, when fears come to you, remember there is hope. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Let's read that a little slower. Now all... Sorry, just kidding. All glory to God who is able. God is able. Fully able. Wait a minute. Maybe we doubt that. Maybe we don't think God is able because our concept of God is too small or faulty or 
we didn't get the lottery that day, so we don't get one of the blessings that day. No, God is able through his mighty work within us. That's another truth. God's already at work in you. If you don't think he is, it's not going to be expressed. You will live everything you think and believe. And when we repent, which means to change your mind, that's all repent means. Repent does not mean beg, beg, beg for forgiveness. It means change your mind of how God sees you. That's good news. This place has to be about good news. That's all we've got. And since God's power is already at work in us, let's become aware of his power in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So how many of you are great thinkers and dreamers? I know there's some people who are very creative. They can dream and create. And, ah, they can get ideas galore. You know? Well, that's nothing. It says here, more than we might ask or think. You can have a great wish list, but God is even thinking beyond your wish list going, ha, that was pretty good, but I got so much more in store for you. But if you don't believe it, you're only even looking for the things you believe. As in, well, God only has this much for me. Hang on, let's blow this box open. Let's start living a life of fullness, not from a place of lack. Don't come to God with a, please, will you like me? Please, will you forgive me? He loves you. He's crazy about you. If you have to pray that prayer, let that prayer be the beginning of a positive journey of experiencing a better God. So when fear closes in, remember who you are, your identity, your core true you, that you are one with Christ. Remember your journey, that you've died with Christ, raised with him, we have a new motivation, a new way to live. Remember those who've gone before. I've given you some pretty good Bible lessons there, but we also have stories right here. Well, as we have coffee, begin to share your stories. As relationships are built, you start to open up and, and tell your story. Like if it's the first time you meet somebody, don't go, Bleh, here's all my pain. No, that's probably not smart, okay? They go, oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. You know, take that phone number back. Yep. That's just how it works. And remember, there is hope. God's at work inf to do infinitely more. Oh, wait, I forgot to tell you what the word infinitely means. You saw it, but here's the definition of infinitely that I thought was really cool. Bigger than the biggest thing ever, and then some. Much bigger than that. In fact, really amazingly immense. A totally stunning size. Real, wow, that's big time. Infinitely is just so big that by comparison, bigness itself looks really titchy gigantic multiplied by colossal multiplied by staggeringly huge is the sort of concept we're trying to get across here. <laughs> That's a drama expression. Infinitely. Infinite. That's the God who lives in you. That's the God who wants to express himself through you and I. Let's stop presenting a small, tiny God especially one stuck in a church building. Okay? He doesn't live here. He lives in us. That's really big. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, when fear comes, can you be the one who reminds us of these things? Because I forget easily, and I don't think I'm alone. Would you... 
Be our comfort, be our thinking, be the inspirer. Teach us how to hear your voice when crisis or fears come. And may we grow through each of those experiences and then encourage one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.